Welcome to Doing the Most, the series where we talk about the misadventures of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Georgie, execution strategist and serial entrepreneur. This series is here to get real about what entrepreneurial life truly looks like. We are driven, persistent, hardworking, ambitious. We are human, and these are our stories. Please note, all season one episodes were previously recorded for our video series. Welcome back to Doing the Most, The Misadventures of Entrepreneurship. Today on our episode, we have Maya Brooks, and she is the founder, entrepreneur, boss lady, just doing a lot and just getting shit done. And so I'd love to have her give a little bit of an introduction to herself and her business and what she does. Hi, Georgie. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm so excited to be talking to you and talking to all your listeners and Definitely have a lot to share about entrepreneurship. My first year in entrepreneurship is almost done. So in the first year, I've kind of learned a lot. Um, And I guess I'll talk a little bit about kind of how I got here. Mm -hmm. Um, So in my, in the beginning of my career, I started off my career in finance 2015 after graduating from NYU and I was an econ major. I didn't study, um, you know, entrepreneurship. I didn't study traditional business and I didn't really study um, anything tech related. And when I graduated, I got a job in finance because I felt like that's what people do. a job in finance when they're uh, econ majors and living in New York and seems like good money, solid job, good opportunities. So I found myself there um, for about a couple, almost three years. And during that time, I kind of went through, I feel like that transformational period that lots of young 20 year olds have, right? Which is, um, do you like what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Are you interested in it? Is this going to be the path that you take forever? Um, are you stuck in this career for the rest of your life? And I, I kind of had a like a quarter life crisis. <laughs> and during that time, I think a, a quarter life crisis is really is really important to have. Everyone has one, so it's totally normal. Um, but it's definitely a, an illuminating time in your life because you really start to evaluate what's important to you the things that you feel are um, going to propel you forward and you start to be really brave about dropping off the stuff that isn't important to you anymore. Definitely. Uh, Yeah. So I kind of got into the entrepreneurship space because I was looking to kind of expand on my own ideas. I knew that staying in a career in finance wouldn't really allow me to pursue those things. So I started taking courses in web development and technology courses uh, part-time while I was working just so that I could get a solid background in technology um, so that if I needed to build a product of my own, I could kind of do that. And I kind of started working on my own projects and teaching a lot and learning a lot. And from there, I decided to start Coffee and Coded. Nice, nice. And um, did you learn, start learning coding, coding yourself or was this like a passion for you? Did you have like any type of tech coding kind of background? So I had no background um, previous to uh, trying to learn to code. And the first time I tried to learn to code, actually, I like miserably failed um, and gave up on, on what I was trying to do. I took an online course in Python 
And I got about halfway through the course and then I kind of got frustrated and gave up. And I, I found out that the reason why was that I wasn't connected to the projects we were building. Python is a data language. I'm not really a data person. I could care less about trying to parse large um, <laughs> like you know sequences of data. So it just it wasn't the language for me, but people kept telling me that's what I should learn. So kind of a, another lesson of really trying to figure out what you're interested in, what's important. Um, so after doing that and kind of failing over a summer, I decided to take it more seriously and kind of try again. And mm -hmm. I went to General Assembly for the front end web development program and the JavaScript development program. Nice, nice. So that's more like design and more creative. Was that something that fed your deeper needs even more? Um, yeah, it did. Uh, for me, I kind of realized very early on, like I was not maybe a designer by trade. So like my visual acumen for being able to build pretty products or like, you know, visually appealing products probably wasn't as great as like my knowledge for the, for the data behind them and kind of like the development side. So I think front end web dev gave me a really great place to start. It's a really, really good place to get a fundamental understanding of how the web works and like how apps are built, how things are put together, how APIs work. It's just like a really great place to learn in. And then you can kind of take that knowledge from anywhere. So I'm really glad that I started there. Yeah, definitely. And so like what really was a turning point, like the key point that said, I need to quit my job. So I think you know, you shared a little bit of that story, but could you just like walk us through that like month or that week that led you up to saying, okay, this is it. I can't do this anymore. Um, I have to, I have to quit because I'm not happy or comfortable to talk a little yeah. bit about that. Oh my gosh. So when I was going to quit my job and I had been kind of playing the long game. So I was planning on quitting probably a year and a half before I actually left. Wow. Um, yeah. So like a really long time. Um, when I was first thinking about leaving my job, um, I kind of knew that like that's where I wanted to end up, but I had no idea how to leave and like where to find the courage to like tell my boss I was gonna leave and like how to be in an uncomfortable situation where like I was gonna maybe not have a career or like not have a job or leave like a really safe place. And that sort of stuff is really terrifying, um, especially like in your, in your early 20s where people around you are kind of like building their careers and mm -hmm. your friends are all getting solid in what they're doing. And you're like, I'm going to leave all this behind. <laughs> um, so for me, I went through a lot of like kind of indecision, probably for about nine months where back and forth, I was like, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave. And then two months would go by and I'd be like, well, I'm going to stay till the end of the year. <laughs> well, I'm going to stay until, you know, the bonus comes or I'm going to stay until March or I'm going to stay until my birthday and then I'm going to leave. So like all of these different milestones that kept passing and kept passing. Um, and I think like the turning point for me was that I, I got promoted and I got promoted into a position that I didn't really want that badly. And when <laughs> you start to see... Um, you know, other people in that position that are like loving it or other people in the position and you don't want kind of like what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I think that's when you know, like it's really time to go because 
my work would have suffered had I stayed. Definitely. My work would have suffered had I stayed. I would have been really like anxious and sad and like, you know, when you're unfulfilled, like the longer you go in that, in that process, the more damage it just does to yourself. Um, so I, I wasn't, uh, willing to kind of take that past a point. So even without a safety net, I, I left in May. Nice. Congratulations on that. Thank and you. you said you played the long game. Were you doing any sort of like saving? Cause you said, you know, part of it was like the, um, the mind games that you're, you're kind of playing with yourself, but were you doing any kind of saving or preparation? Um, cause I know you probably had like an apartment or something and like, you know, responsibilities and bills like adult life. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. And there's like a lot of guilt that goes along with quitting your job and like trying to pay your bills and like support, you know, this may not be everybody's story, but trying to support other people in your family or people who rely on you to pay bills and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to be out of a job. Like I can't support you in this way anymore. Um, it's definitely like a little bit hard for me. I saved I started stocking away savings probably seriously, maybe like five or six months before I left. And I saved enough for four and a half months of rent. That is by no means near enough to get by. Um, and so I kind of like learned a, a lesson that I'm probably still kind of like learning um, that like you should always save like three times more probably than what you think you need. So even though I calculated it all out and I was like, oh, I can last this long, I'm gonna pay the rent and then I'm gonna be teaching and I'm gonna be doing these other things to make money. Like I shouldn't need to, you know, take out any loans or use my credit cards, blah, blah, blah. It was all just kind of um, a mess. So I definitely made a mistake there um, with not saving enough, but I, I saved about four times my rent price um, before I left. And then I also saved, well, I had in savings from my job, a 401k account um, that I kind of knew I could rely on as backup. Um, it's definitely not the best decision. I don't recommend it for everybody, but if you're in a pinch, it's there. So, yeah. Awesome. awesome. That's really good to hear. And I like, you know, you being really raw and honest about it because a lot of folks think, oh, you know, I'm just going to quit my job and just jump into entrepreneurship, but there definitely needs to be preparations made. And I often tell people, you know, not because you're going to become an entrepreneur means you have to quit your job. That just means if your job is kind of stifling the entrepreneurial journey or path, then quit your job. But if it's, if you can use that like nine to five or 10 to six to fund your, your, your business and it doesn't stifle whatever you're trying to launch, then by all means, keep your job as well as possible. And then when your business starts generating enough and needs more of your time and energy, then make that leap. So, you know, it's good to learn those lessons earlier. Um, now I want to talk a little bit about coffee and coding. What yeah. made you decide to have that be the, the, the venture you start for your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, so um, for Coffee Encoded, and I, I think it's important to note, like, this is not, this wasn't my first idea, um, and it's changed a lot, like, as I've kind of, like, developed it, and I think it's important to, like, acknowledge that, like, as an entrepreneur, like, you'll have thousands of ideas, and there's only <laughs> some that you get to, right, there's only some that you get to, ex like, actually act on, um, and that you can follow through with, and, like, actually have, um, 
the capacity to carry forward. I think it's important to recognize like A, your personal capacity, B, are you passionate about this? C, like, are you really the right person to take this forward? Um, it's kind of like a, it's a harsh reality to, to look at yourself and be like, but I have this great idea and I want to take this one, you know, to the moon. <laughs> but it could be maybe sometimes that like you are not the right person for that particular idea. Um, and so my first idea, like that was kind of, that was kind of the issue. And, um, I wanted to start like an app in the nightlife business, which I still think is a really good idea, but I kind of quickly realized that like, I don't love the nightlife business, <laughs> nor do I want to be really spending my time like in and out of clubs. So I was like, this just isn't going to be for me. I'm not the person for this. Right. No matter how good the idea was. So I think it's, it's really important to kind of like recognize your own limits. And also to like feel okay with letting go of like some other ideas so that new ideas can kind of form and take place. So for Coffee Encoded, I started it um, when I was in jury duty. <laughs> and I had, had a month long of grand jury duty um, for Brooklyn and the state of New York. So I was off work essentially for a month. Mm -hmm. And in jury duty, all you do is sit there from nine to five all day, every day. Mm -hmm. There's a one lunch break, there's barely any Wi-Fi, and there's no, like, there's nothing to do there but think and talk to other jurors. So during that time, I kind of started thinking, all right, like, how can I use this time productively? What am I gonna do during this nine to five? Because there's breaks between the cases. So when I was just sitting there doing nothing, some people would read, some people would do like games and crossword puzzles, watch TV, whatever that, whatever they wanted to do um, on their phones or whatever. And I was like, I think I'm going to work on this business idea I've been thinking about. So um, at the time I was teaching at General Assembly um, as an instructor, kind of like off and on, I would teach like two classes a month um, for them. And I really wanted the opportunity to teach more. So I started to realize like, hey, I really like teaching. I'm very good at it. My students respond really positively. I want to create a space where I can do that more. Definitely. So Coffee Encoded was really born out of a passion of me wanting to fulfill more of what I like to do, which is inspiring other people to learn about code, learn about entrepreneurship, learn about tech, all that sort of stuff. So I started kind of building the idea from there. And then when I started building the idea, um, you know, I had several offshoots of where I wanted to start. Is this going to be an online class? Is it going to be in person? Is this going to be a business that morphs into events and online sessions? Is it going to be like other speakers? Are we going to franchise it? Like how many different things could we do with the business? Um, and that is a great exercise to do in the very beginning. And then the next exercise is to cut down all of those side options down to <laughs> one or two things that you can accomplish reasonably. So for me, I knew really quickly, like, because I had, I had read a couple of books about entrepreneurship, how important it is to start building and testing as soon as possible. So for me, I was like, I'm going to start in the event space. We're going to hold like host events, like one or two events per month, mm -hmm. um, either have speakers come in or I'm going to teach. And we're going to inspire women to try courses in technology. So that's really where we started. Um, I started the programming in March of 2018 and just kind of, you know, found some free space 
um, through a great partner of mine and friend that I have at um, Galvanize NYC, who's our, our sponsor and host for most of our space and, and gives it to us for free <laughs> because they were so um, I really, really thank them for that. But basically our, our goal was to start small, but be impactful. So we started with just teaching the events, bringing in speakers, getting people who normally wouldn't be in the room in the room. Um, and from there, the next step, uh, which I'm still kind of figuring out, we're, you know, a little bit, we're about nine months old as a company now. Mm -hmm. So um, the next steps, you know, are, there's several. Um, I started the Kickstarter over the summer to really like, help fund some of the process of Coffee Encoded. And that kind of spun into our merchandise line, which is, you know, up and running now. So um, I think there's there's a lot of places we could take it. Definitely. And like what I want to just recap about what you just said was, even though you had many ideas, you recognize like which idea wasn't best for you to pursue. So, you know, the nightlife idea, you figured, okay, even though it's a great idea, that's not good. That's not the best idea for me to pursue. And I think a lot of people, try to pursue all their ideas just because it's their idea versus figuring out what is the best fit for them. And I think another thing that you said that really resonated was then when you chose an idea, you realize that there are micro ideas inside that idea and then picking again. So you have to really be niche and narrow it down when you're, when you're starting because it is going to grow and expand. And I've learned this the hard way as well, where I tried to do too many things at once and it was just like, oh no, what are you doing? You just have to focus on yeah. one aspect of it. And then once that one aspect is kind of growing is going well, then you could, you know, move on and try to do another aspect or another segment of it. And then um, another point that you made was like, okay, we this deciding to like kind of like do the, the GoFundMe and asking for, I mean, not GoFundMe, the Kickstarter and asking for help and seeing what kind of public support you could receive because a lot of folks are really afraid to ask for help, but they don't, and then they don't ask for help and then they don't get the support. But if you ask for help, it's just some people will support, some people won't, but you won't know until you ask. So what made you choose Kickstarter over the other platforms that were available? I know they have like Indiegogo, GoFundMe, Page, and yeah. there's all, so many, but what made you choose Kickstarter if you want to tell the audience a little bit more about that? Yeah, and I actually, I coincidentally just listened to um, How I Built This by Guy Raz, and I listened to the Kickstarter episode um, with the founder, um, Perry Chen, and it was really interesting to hear him to kind of talk about like Kickstarter and how they found it and why they started it. Um, I chose Kickstarter because I liked the um i liked the type of products that were on the platform i think it's really important if you're gonna go the crowdfunding route to choose a platform that speaks to your audience and caters to your type of fundraising so like gofundme is like really mostly for like charity projects if you're not running a charity project it's kind of not the best advice for you to be on gofundme um, for Indiegogo, like it has a very strong lean to like movies, music, things that are really, really in the creative space, which is wonderful. Um, but it's really catered toward that audience. So if, you know, your project is not a movie and you put it on Indiegogo, it just may, you may not find the people that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. 
to help support you in the community. Um, Kickstarter for me had the most success with other tech projects and I kind of knew that going in. So um, it was always kind of first choice for me even though I did some research on the other platforms. Nice and you know, again, I'm gonna make a highlight because some folks will listen to this and it'll go in one ear and come out the next. So going where makes sense for you. And again, a lot of folks will just go, oh, I see a lot of people on GoFundMe or I see a lot of people on Indiegogo and just go there because that's where everyone else is. But that's not where your crowd is. That's not where your party is. Your party is on Kickstarter and that is the best platform for you to be great. Not because everybody else is doing something else. You're just supposed to pursue that, everything else. Um, yeah. I want you to share a story of like the craziest misadventure that you've had specifically in 2018 you know you said the business is about nine nine months old so the majority of it has been in this year so could you tell us like a crazy incident that was like a misadventure um with coffee and coda this year hmm <laughs> um a misadventure that's a really good question um for misadventures this year Hmm. I'm not really sure that we've had any of those crazy experiences so far. Um, I would say probably the biggest, maybe the biggest like adventure or like misadventure so far has probably been trying to put together like the Kickstarter launch party. Um, I threw it together in like under a month. <laughs> um, so it was definitely like something I was, not rushing through, but we were under a time crunch um, for certain. And I had basically called in like all of the reinforcements I knew to come and help me on the day of the launch. So we, you know, we did it at Galvanize, which is a space um, that helps us out previously. And I had about eight friends like come in. I carried all my stuff in in like a minivan. We like loaded everything up into like several of the freight elevators, like tables, gift bags, merchandise, food, like all of this sort of stuff. I had been up all night like trying to make this party happen and um, like cooking pasta for tons of people and like all of that sort of stuff. So um, trying to put that party together in like under two hours um, before people like people were showing up and like walking in the door we're still like tying balloons and like trying to set up the food and like wine stations like all sorts of stuff so um i would definitely say like to date that's probably the craziest misadventure um i'm sure there will be tons to come nice nice yeah and you know it, it is only the beginning things will get crazy at points and then you, you know you'll figure it out that's the entrepreneur um but to start wrapping up this conversation, we have come to our time. I want to ask one final question, and that would be, is what advice would you give to, you know, someone that's out there trying to start on their entrepreneurial journey? They might feel stuck in their job like you did. You know, what is one piece of tangible advice that you would give um, mm -hmm. a dreamer out there so that they can start doing and getting stuff done? So my most, like, tangible piece of advice would be, um, a, like never make a decision out of fear. Like you should never make a decision out of fear or anger or like any sort of negative emotion. If a negative emotion is driving you to make a decision, it's the wrong one. I would wait, like always wait. You can afford to take the 24 hours. You can afford to take the 48 hours. Don't let people push you into making decisions. Um, 
or and don't let your own fear push you into making decisions. I think that's really important. Um, the second piece would be like asking for help and community is really important. Um, and it's terrifying. Like I totally get it. Asking people to like give you money is like the most strange and terrifying thing that's probably ever happened or asking people to use your product and like all that sort of stuff. And you will also see like some people are very, um, averse to tangibly actually helping you. They'll say, yes, like, I'd love to help. Sure. I'll help. Of course I'll, I'll do that for you. Um, so as an entrepreneur, I would say like, ask for help as much as possible, as often as possible, assume that only 10% of the people you ask are actually going to help you and then make it as easy as possible for those 10% to follow through and action on those items, right? So if I have something I need to get done and I need someone specific on it, I reach out to that person or a friend or like whoever it is, and I reach out to them personally and I say, hey, so-and-so, I really need you to take the time right now to click this link and like sign up for this or to click this link and share my article or like whatever it is. Be as direct as possible and make it easy for them to pitch in and help you. Um, I think sometimes, especially with like friends and family and stuff like that, like they want to help, but they just, they don't really know how yeah. and a vague, um, like a vague ask is like the worst thing. They don't really know what to do with that. Right. Don't be vague when you ask people for stuff, like maybe you could donate to our campaign, maybe like a little, I don't know. That's not like a helpful ask, right? A helpful ask is like, Hey, on this date, like November 26, I need you to give me a hundred dollars to go to my Kickstarter campaign. Here's the link at 12 o'clock today. You will click this link and you will donate me a hundred dollars. Thank you. Like just <laughs> really, really, really easy for them. I mean, you know, be nice of course, but make it easy for them to, to help you. Um, and then the third thing, um, would be, to follow like the advice of Eric Reese, which is one of my like favorite writers and wrote one of the best books I ever read, which is The Lean Startup. Um, and The Lean Startup method basically says like, you don't start any business without building, testing, learning from the test. That is all you're going to start doing. And you're gonna do that all without spending a dime basically. So whatever idea you have, um, there is a way to build a minimum viable product for that. Mm -hmm. Get out there and test it, find customers, learn what they think about you, what they think about your idea, what they think about the company. If they're interested, there are ways to do that without spending any money. Definitely. It is going to be the easiest version of your idea and the easiest for you to carry out as well. And I think it's super, super important to take that initial step to do that. Don't wait to like, have someone develop an app and pay like a development studio and like build a whole website. Like a lot of times you don't even need to do that. You can build like a short form or a quiz or like a landing page and just test your service through that or a Facebook group and test your service through that. So I think it's really important um, like to follow that methodology. It will help you figure out things a lot easier. A hundred percent agree. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And, you know, I want to just, again, highlight and emphasize one of the points, the MVP. So just building something that's testable. And I forgot who said it. I don't know. You know, I always have these quotes, but I forgot who said them. I just know it wasn't me. But it's like, if you, um, 
if your product is perfect when you launch it's like it's too late at that point, yeah it's, it's too, too late, late. it's all pretty and nice and you know amazing yeah. that doesn't mean that people are going to use it and a lot of folks i see recently have been building things and they don't go out there and do the research beforehand or even try to yep. you know, reach the market and like why are people buying my pretty product because no one knows about your pretty product you didn't test it out you didn't yeah. you didn't even need your pretty product that doesn't that because it's pretty means that people need it or would use it so definitely definitely method. yeah launch the product when it's at a c plus <laughs> i want you to be a little bit better than average if exactly on a scale of like school grades a to f launch your product when it's a c plus like forget about it being above average or like the best thing, excellent, 100%. It does not need to be there. It needs to be like a little bit better than 75% the way there. Exactly. That's like if it does well with that pre-launch, then guess what? The next iteration, you're going to be like a C and then a B and then an A. And then before you know it, you'll yeah. have like money, more time, more, more followers, more purchaser customers. And then when you get into an A, like, I'm like, oh my God, I've been on this journey with you so long. And, you know, people yes. kind of like testify to that. Like I know certain products that I use, it's like, I've been using it for 10, 15 years. And I'm like, oh yeah, when they yeah. said they were like crappy, but now they're so great, use them. I'm they're sure so most great. of us can't even remember how crappy the products we use like every day used to be. Mm -hmm. Like if anyone like really remembers like Facebook in the early days, all you used to be able to do was write on someone's wall. You couldn't do basically anything else like nothing. It had no features. Mm -hmm. Like the main feature was like, you find a friend right on their wall. That was the only thing that you could do. And I think it's important like to identify like, Hey, what's the one thing we're going to be really good at? What's the one thing we're going to really own. Exactly. Right. So like, if you're going to own whatever it is, like of the product that you're doing, make that one feature and that one thing that you do, like the best thing that you do and do that better than anybody else. And then you can focus on like scaling and doing other things and adding more stuff. 100%. Um, we've come to our time, so I want to say thank you so, so much for being here with us, Maya. Guys, you're going to see her information down below. And I knew it was going to ring. Uh, all right, so I'm going to say that over again. We've come to our time. Thank you so, so much for being here with us, Maya. Guys, you can find her information down below in the caption and comment section. If you have any questions for her, feel free to leave them there and I'll share them with her at a later date. And we'll catch you for another episode next week of Doing the Most, The Misadventures of Entrepreneurship. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Doing the Most. Catch us here next week, same time, same place. If you can't wait, head on over to doingthemost.xyz to stay connected. Until next time, keep on doing.